Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve, joined as well by Mike and Ed P. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud and Rumble. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. We also invite listeners to send any questions, comments, and other feedback that they may have about the show to our new email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. So with that, good afternoon, everybody. Hey, Hi, everyone. Hey. So with all the important stuff in the news, um, especially the heavy duty stuff like that trial going on in Minneapolis, I would like to discuss something important like the racism of trees. I was so glad you were going there because I didn't see anything more important on the list. Really important. Oh. So for those who may not know what I'm talking about, it's a school in Portland, I forget which one at the moment, it doesn't matter, that is trying to pick a good mascot and they were gonna pick evergreen trees, but because people had been lynched on trees, it may be racist. So I just want to invite comments. How can you comment on something so crazy and irrational? <laughs> That's a good description, irrational. It is truly irrational. Unfortunately, that's where we are. I don't think we should have any mascots anymore, you know. Because uh, <laughs> they're all racist. They're, are they're all very, racist. Uh, they're systemically racist. There's some no, racist. I was, listening, I was listening this morning to a show. I don't remember who was talking, but some expert. And he basically said that if we can't fix education, we're never getting out of this mess. And I think he unfortunately is more right than wrong. If you're raising entire generations to buy into this kind of ridiculousness, mm -hmm. then what we see is so irrational, it doesn't deserve a response, is actually accepted as normal and factual. And I, I honestly don't know what you do if you can't change education. Well, you know, aside from the bad that they're teaching our kids, if you look at their report cards for public schools, and in particular in uh, big cities, it's appalling. And why uh, their failure of our kids as far as civics and math and basics that they need, why that's not... Um, a louder media outrage. I mean, we know why, right? Because public schools, that's, you know, big Democrat leftist um, thing they want to pretend is because they need more money, but it should be a bigger, well, much bigger push. Defund the police went mainstream in less than six months. Defunding education can go mainstream in equally short time. We're not gonna reform education. We need to get our kids out of it. Yeah. That's what we need to do. So I'm gonna use it as a segue to some of the other subjects because I think it does tie in. Um, we gotta talk about baseball and the all-star game and Georgia, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the interesting things about the unbelievably ridiculous over um, reacting of people to Georgia and its racist law that 
prohibits anybody not white, European, dead and male from voting and prohibits anybody who works for a living from voting. One of the interesting things is like we said last week, are they going too far? Because they've actually woken up a few people. Marco Rubio actually wrote a really cool letter as I'm sure most of us know. Um, Abbott turned down throwing a pitch at a baseball game. There are actually people fighting back. There are actually people calling to boycott Coca-Cola because of this. And I think that very much ties into the education. Normally I say the right will never get outraged enough to actually do anything. And yet here you have a glimmer. If we could get that anger and get Rubio to write a letter like that against education and Abbott to write a letter like that against education, maybe there would be hope of somebody fighting back. Well, maybe. And, and I think, you know, one of the big one of the big political stories of, of the last year or two is how states like Florida and Texas have been uh, bringing businesses from California and from other very blue states in into their states. And maybe it's time that we start that these red states start building a wall or, or kicking out some of these woke corporations. I'd love to see, you know, I know that um, one of the houses of the Georgia legislature passed a passed a bill saying that they wanted to repeal a tax break that Delta Airlines was going to have. The other house hasn't passed it, so it's not law right now. Uh, but more generally, I mean, I think they should pass bills to repeal special breaks, but they should even just pass resolutions saying uh, if Coca-Cola is not happy with our voting rules, they should go and relocate to another state. And they should be very public about you're unwelcome here. The same way, you know, they should play that Maxine Waters clip where she talks about how you know, if you see someone from the Trump administration, you know, and you're in a restaurant, you'll get in their face and tell them they're not wanted. And, they, you know, you don't want them here. Well, I think the Georgia legislature should say to Coca-Cola, we don't want you here. Go go to go to some blue state. Bring, take your jobs there and, and take your woke nonsense there. I don't think it's worth it for these comp for these states to attract businesses that bring in maybe, a you know, may, they may bring 10,000 jobs in, but they're bringing in employees that are going to destroy the state and destroy the freedoms that make the state a hospitable business climate in the first place. So well, we, we don't know if they're bringing employees or, who are also Democrats. I mean, I'm sure there are tons of people in these corporations that totally disagree. And of course, their their voices are suppressed because they're fearful for what's going to happen to them, you know. But I, I don't know if kicking the company out of a state is going to do any good. I'm sure Phil Murphy would be thrilled if Coca-Cola came to New Jersey and dealt with all the high taxes. But Fine, let them go. You know, no, I, do, I do agree we should. Maybe that's true for Coca-Cola. I don't know. But I mean, I'm thinking, for instance, of, of how Austin, Texas, for example, has become a hub for uh, big tech companies to go. Yeah. Austin is this uber left town. The politics is uber left. There's no doubt in my mind that these big tech companies are bringing leftist employees from California and other places. I'm sure they Why are. Why is Abbott trying to recruit them? He should tell them to stay the hell out. And, and you know, Georgia, you know, I mean, I don't know what Coca-Cola's employees are saying, but maybe if, maybe if the legislature and the governor said, you know what, you don't like it here, why don't you get the hell out? Maybe they would think twice a little bit too before they started getting involved in politics. 
I mean, I do you think they would really care? I mean, I mean, if 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 uh, the governor of Georgia Kemp told Coca Cola get the hell out tomorrow, do you think they'd really care? It's not about whether they care. It's about whether there's opposition to this wokeness. The opposition has to start somewhere. Yeah, and I I think you you can have that opposition, and I think first and foremost is to cut off the corporate welfare. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, Major League Baseball, I mean, for crying out loud, how many of these stadiums have been built with taxpayer money? You know, that they-, they How many stadiums have the Braves had just in the last 25 yeah. years? Yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous. I think that's that's a starting point. And I, right. quite the a, Braves a lot, are a racist. Just real quick, a, a lot, real quick, real quick. A lot of these red states are also guilty of the corporate welfare. And, and, and Georgia is definitely one of them because I think- um, I think there was one company, I don't know if it's Hertz or one of the major companies here in New Jersey went down there because they were being offered, you know, taxpayer giveaways, tax giveaways. Even, even I think Florida has been guilty of that. It goes on all the time. But that to me is one, one area where they can cut the spigot off. These virtue signalers are not used to people calling their bluff. I remember there was a, a time back in the early 80s when uh, the Soviets uh, demanded that um, – the United Nations be moved out of uh, New York City. And some lower level diplomat at the United Nations, certainly without permission from the hens who run the State Department said, that's great, we'll wave goodbye at the pier as you guys all leave. And that was the last time anyone ever heard anything from the Soviets about moving the United Nations. Of course, I think the United Nations should leave, but um, he called their bluff without obviously without permission. He probably got reprimanded for doing it, but um, it just shut him up. And I think that uh, what Kemp is doing uh, is not quite that far, but is al along the same lines. And Abbott is like, fine, leave. We don't care. And I think this plays into the other story that's so big this week, the uh, CBS 60 Minutes <laughs> and what they did. And once again, the left is caught going even further, even further. And it looks like at least on some levels, DeSantis is hitting back and they're getting some pushback. And you know, it reminds me of what one of our brightest co-hosts always says, that the next bad thing may be cultural, not political. That'll be you, Ed. Um, they, they keep going so far that they maybe, maybe, maybe waking up the, the sleeping beast. I, it's just, it really is unbelievable. I know some people are suggesting DeSantis sue CBS. I have no, no idea if that's feasible. I don't, I don't even know if it makes sense. But the point is the left goes so far, they're begging us to push back. And the question is, can we sustain that anger or will Rubio go back to the Gang of Eight and everybody go back to doing whatever it was that they were doing before? Well, I wouldn't rely on Rubio. I would think that he's going he's gonna to fall back. But I, I do think that DeSantis should consider a lawsuit. I think defamation is a very hard thing to prove because you have to prove not only that the statements were false, but that the person making them either knew they were false or entertained serious doubt as to the truth or falsity of the, of the statement. And given that the statements have been shown to have been manipulated, I think that there's a strong case to be made that they intentionally made a false statement knowingly and intentionally and with actual constitutional malice that was designed to make it look like he was engaged in pay to play when he wasn't. 
And I think he should bring that lawsuit. You know, I have to tell you that I was talking to someone the other night from Florida. And this person was so angry at DeSantis and called him every name in the book. And he is the absolute worst governor and he's a crook, et cetera, et cetera. And this person will never hear the whole other side of this story. So I think that the idea that he was defamed among millions of people, it's really scary because most people will never hear the true side of the story. CBS is not going to play it. Maybe it'll go out on, you know, page 300B of some newspaper somewhere in Podunk, but it really is scary. And maybe is this sort of like the, um, what was the name of that? The white guy who beat up the Indian guy, the Covington kids. What was the name of that kid? Remember he beat up that Indian, yeah. that poor innocent Indian, he beat him to a pulp or something. Yeah, he didn't. leave his name out of this just because he's a kid. Except okay. that he didn't. Right? Oh, wait, except for, yeah, yeah, he looked at him and smiled. But they made it into like he, he butchered this poor guy and he won big money. Basically, I think part of it was that you guys cut out a lot of the stuff. They ran with the false narrative. I think they were legitimately accusing him of something he didn't do, though, right? But part of it was by cutting out some of the interaction, I believe, which is why I'm comparing it to here. Okay, so can we go back to what we talked about last week then? Why can't we have some, why can't media be held accountable th through losing a license? Like a physician loses a license for negligence, a well, attorney we're, loses- Well, we want to get a license? I, I think it's just, you know, repeal New York Times versus Sullivan is the, is the answer, right? Right, right. I mean, the First Amendment doesn't allow us to, to put a license on speech. I know, but I'm talking about um, a broadcasting license or something. Like yeah, that. like like you know, if you get sued and you lose a libel case, you lose your license. You can't. Be well, I think that there's there's a difference between a broadcaster on the radio and a newspaper, right? Newspapers don't have a license, as far as I'm aware of, right? <laughs> so I, neither do broadcasters, right? I'm just saying maybe. No. Shouldn't Broadcasters they? have licenses on the public airwaves. Right. Cable channels don't. I don't think anybody, I mean, I would never want speech to be licensed. I think the scary part is that they're trying to make so much speech illegal. As far as what to do other than libel laws and winning so much money that it would matter. And, you know, most of these companies, my understanding is they don't care if they make money. These companies like CNN and stuff. Yeah, but look, I don't know how you could hurt them. Look at how powerful they are and how, what a huge barrier they've become. They really have become a barrier between the American people and valuable pieces of information. So how do you reel that in? How, like, how, how do you just let that continue? What do you do? And to me, it seems like a, at least a worthy discussion is those with that much power need to have some sort of regulation like to be a teacher i can't just go in and be a third grade teacher i have to meet certain standards and uphold those standards right why do they not have regulatory standards they have to abide by first of all jody i don't agree with you i don't think a teacher should need to have to meet standards I yeah. think if you well, and it's me, not working so you might be right <laughs> if you and me and two eds get together and we want to hire mike to teach our kids it's up to us whether he has met standards or has qualifications and we can choose anybody we want i don't even think they should have to have 
licenses and certificates. And the problem is that we don't hold these people. We don't keep them honest. I mean, Dan Rather, you know, took a hit. But as far as I know, he still goes to the cocktail parties. How about Brian Williams? He's still got a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Ed, do you have any answer to this? What can you do about the media? Which Ed are you talking to? I'll take any Ed who has an answer. <laughs> I mean, I think that the answer, as Ed Powell mentioned, and I mentioned last week, is revealing New York Times versus Sullivan. Uh, but in this particular case with DeSantis, I think that he can even meet the New York Times versus Sullivan standard. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why he's not well. He hasn't talked about suing them. Maybe he just doesn't want to talk and he's going to do. But Ed, Ed, what what happens if there is a lawsuit? They depose him. And it, could there be concern of what else might come out in during a case such as that? I mean, what would come out that he, that he was guilty of pay to play? I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm asking. I mean, you're the lawyer, so I'm just curious. I mean, that would be what he'd have to be afraid of. That I mean, if he did, in fact, you know, take donations based on, you know, if he did take action based on donations he received and he was afraid that was going to come out in, in depositions, then, yeah, he probably would let it go. But oh, it, the whole thing is ridiculous. Publix is on every street corner down in Florida. Of course, it makes yeah. a perfect, perfect sense for them to distribute vaccines. I, I can't imagine that this has anything to do with the, what is it, 20 grand that they gave his uh, account, especially since he did CVS first before Publix and he did, uh, I don't know, Walgreens, some other thing, uh, other company first. I mean, the whole thing is just absurd. It's just beyond absurd. Um, it, it, it makes no sense at all that I, I you know, it, it's like Safeway. There's one on every street corner here. I mean, of course you're going to get them to, um, distribute the vaccine. It doesn't make any sense. So what do we do? Uh, I, I think, again, I'm on board with the Times versus Sullivan being overturned. And uh, I mean, generally, the answer to bad speech or even from the press is more speech. <coughs> you have when another they problem. hold the ability for you to get your speech through, where are you? When you say they, it's not CBS per se, it's more the social media. Well, it's, it seems like it's a collusion between all of them. Like the pathway to the minds of the American people is controlled by a small group relative to the overall society of people and organizations. And that avenue to the minds of the people is completely corrupted and inaccessible. Look, I, th I think they're, they have the upper hand in that battle. I, I don't wanna say that we're, we've been totally silenced. We have obviously real problems with what's going on. But you still have Fox News out there. We still, despite some of the suppression on social, social media, I can go find a Breitbart story if I want to read it. You know, I mean, there are options out there. It's just, you know, obviously we, we're so divided, we tend to only look for the things that, you know, that we cater to us. <coughs> but Mike, there's a lot of people who will never be exposed to those options. Yeah. I mean, they well, this is, well, it's not even that. that. Like, that's just the reality of where we are. With so, no, I, I mean, I'll go even back, you know, to when I was on the left and I was believing all of their stuff. One of the big things I learned early on as I sort of woke up was, you know, kind of realizing that when it came to the global warming discussion and debate, the only thing I knew 
about the argument on the right is the characterization that the left gave me. They told me, they, they told me these were science deniers. And so I had, I had no desire. Like I had, it sort of locks down your, your, your impetus to even go find that debate because they mischaracterize it, which really just sort of shuts down your desire to even listen. I just think it's super dangerous because we're not having rational, intellectual discussion, reasoned debate. It's being shut down. And that that information highway is super important. And I, I mean, all of the ones that control it, the education system, the media, now social media, they have so destroyed it. I just think it's a huge threat well, that we've got to yeah. find I mean, a listen, quick um, way out. We're veering into uh, Justice Thomas's comments about social media that he put out in the last few days or so, right? Ed? Yep. Talking about social media as being common carriers and the potential for regulation there. So, Ed, I don't know if you want to expound on that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the case was um, uh, President Trump uh, blocked some annoying people on his Twitter um, and uh, they sued saying he can't uh, block him. And, the, and the Second Circuit upheld the suit saying that uh, basically it was a public forum and uh, the president can't block someone without removing their right uh, to speak. This, um, the left was very, very happy with this at the time because obviously they did not want the president to be able to block people on Twitter. But the ramifications of the decision obviously are good for the good guys because by declaring Twitter a public forum, uh, the court made it so that there is a legal argument that they can't block anybody um, for merely issuing an opinion rather than uh, doing illegal speech like posting child porn or, or, or direct threats or something like that, which is illegal speech. Well, yeah. and, Ed, sorry to interrupt, but the Supreme Court vacated the Second Circuit opinion, though. Well, so. that's what I'm saying. So now it came to the it came to the Supreme Court and was um, thrown out as moot because President Trump is no longer the president. But in that uh, decision to, to say that the, the case was moot and thus basically reverse the Second Circuit's opinion, that's bad. Justice Thomas wrote a very uh, good uh, concurrence um, where he discussed the similarity of the social media companies uh, given the incredibly tight grip they have on information flow nowadays to both the common carrier uh, tradition, which we discussed last week, and the public accommodation laws that came out of the Civil Rights Act of 1954. And um, I think I have some sections here uh, that are highlighted. Of course, the whole thing is practically highlighted because uh, Justice Thomas is one of the best uh, people in the whole country these days. Um, sure is. In many ways, digital platforms that hold themselves out to be public, to the public, resemble traditional common carriers. Though digital instead of physical, they, they are at bottom communications network and they carry information from one user to another. A traditional telephone company laid physical wires to create a network connecting people. 
digital platforms lay information infrastructure that can be controlled in much the same way. And unlike newspapers, digital platforms hold themselves out as organizations that focus on distributing the speech to the broader public. Federal law dictates that companies cannot, quote, be treated as the publisher or speaker of information that they merely distribute. The analogy to common carriers is even clearer for digital platforms that have dominant market share. Similar to utilities, today's dominant digital platforms derive much of their value from network size. Um, dominant digital platforms are, are, uh, are different unlike Decentralized digital spheres such as the email protocol, control of these networks is highly concentrated. Although both companies are public, one person controls Facebook and just two control Google. No small group of people control email. Much like with the communications utility, this concentration gives some digital platforms enormous control over speech. When a user does not already know exactly where to find something on the internet, and users rarely do, Google is the gatekeeper between that user and the speech of others 90% of the time. It can suppress content by de-indexing or downlisting a search result, or by steering users away from certain content by manually altering autocomplete results. Um, it changes nothing that these platforms are not the sole means for distributing speech or information. A, pers a person always could choose to avoid the toll bridge or train and instead swim the Charles River or hike the Oregon Trail. But in assessing whether a company exercises substantial market power, what matters is whether the alternatives are comparable. For many of today's digital platforms, nothing is. If the analogy between common carriers and digital platforms is correct, then an answer may arise for disaffected platform users who would appreciate not being blocked laws that restrict the platform's right to exclude. When a platform's unilateral content, the unilateral control is reduced, a government official's account begins to better resemble a government controlled space. And uh, I think uh, he, he, um, he, goes on, uh, he goes on to say that legislatures probably have the right to enact such laws. Um, he's not- he also brings up public accommodation laws. Yeah, too. and then he, he does bring up uh, public accommodations. Um, the, it's basically the you know the case of the baker having to bake the cake for the game. Yeah. Then the interesting thing, and I think the interesting thing for for us is, for example, although a quote private entity is not ordinarily constrained by the First Amendment, citation, it is if the government it is if the government coerces or induces it to take action, the government itself would not be permitted to do such as censor expression of a lawful viewpoint. Consider government threats. Quote, people do not lightly disregard public officers' thinly veiled threats to institute criminal proceedings against them if they do not come around. Another citation. The government cannot accomplish through threats of adverse government action what the Constitution prohibits it from doing directly. Under this doctrine, plaintiffs might have colorable claims against a digital platform if it took adverse action against them in response to government threats. Now, did you see last, it was last week, the, uh, the some house committee, I think, uh, spent most of its time threatening um, adverse government reaction if the social networks didn't? Yeah, and I saw that and, and that was my thought was, wait, isn't that pretty much illegal? And is somebody gonna respond to that? Oh, I think this this last paragraph here is the is the kicker, right? I mean, it, it's basically saying the government is threatening adverse uh, reactions if they don't uh, suppress more speech, and that means the suppression of speech is uh, 
government. Will there be lawsuits pending for that threat? I mean, well, I mean, first of all, Justice Thomas is the only person who understands law on the Supreme Court, to be honest. And so what and one, um, you know, one concurrence does not a precedent set yet. Sometimes concurrences like these or even, you know, uh, dissents can can turn the corner intellectually and make the um, make the next case more powerful. And so I, I do have to applaud uh, Justice Thomas for this, um, for this statement, because he really does get to the libertarian point here, which is that, you know, it, even if you believe 100% that any company can do whatever it wants, he's, he's showing that if a company is trying to achieve government goals due to government threats or inducements um, then it is in fact government action and can be opposed. So that's, that's my- One thing he didn't get to, and I don't know that he could get to or how he would prove it, but the one thing that's not addressed in his concurrence is the situation where the private business doesn't need to be threatened, but is, is already in the back pocket of the, of the regulators and of, of the legislature and is willing to just sit there at cocktail parties and ask Chuck Schumer, who do you want us to silence tomorrow? Who do you want us to block, you know, shut down tomorrow? Yeah. And, and that's not really dealt with, but that's, we all know that's what's happening. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a memo that ever comes out that says uh, everybody needs to shut down the New York Post story on Hunter Biden, right? That just yeah. was a, a bunch of phone calls and everybody knew what to do. Well, Ed, even if that story were to come out, it wouldn't really come out, right? The <laughs> that's other what's thing, happening. It would be suppressed. Thing, it would uh, be was, on Fox News and that's it. You'd have to search for it. The other thing that's not in the record, and thus Justice Thomas did not address it, is the fact that a lot of these um, initiatives against quote unquote hate speech um, that are pushed down on these companies are done so by uh, the payment processors. The banks, in other words. And I mean, it would take a lot. Amazon on Parler. It, it would, yeah, what, Parler was also Amazon, but it also was the payment processor. And it, it would take a lot of, of twisting and turning yourself into a pretzel to claim that the banks in the United States are private entities, uh, because basically every single thing they do uh, you know, it, it is, if it's not prohibited, it's mandatory, right? It's, it's a hundred percent, uh, you know, uh, Mussolini type, uh, fascist, uh, organizations. And so, um, I think that, uh, that the banks doing this, I, I don't believe, uh, you know, pushing these hate speech things. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I believe that's a hundred percent government because I don't believe there are private banks in this country, uh, in any, in any meaningful sense of the term. I want to point something else. Uh, um, the Times versus Sullivan, from my understanding, is a court case, correct? Yep. But this thing should really be legislated, not adjudicated, what thing? right? Libel laws. Yeah, what the court did was they overturned libel laws. Correct. For libel okay. against... Libel quote unquote public figures. So if you're a public figure, you cannot be liable unless you can prove actual malice. 
And um, how you do that is damn near impossible. And I don't, I don't know whether anybody's ever succeeded at doing it. Probably someone has, but. No, some people have. Steve Pagonis did it to Al Sharpton for one. Um, it, it's a very hard standard, as I alluded to earlier, uh, constitutional malice or actual malice requires that you prove either knowing falsity or that the person entertain serious doubts about the truth of the story before publishing it. That's what you need to prove in order to show actual malice. I mean, without a functional PET test, how do you prove what somebody was thinking when they said something? Well, I mean, you throw Sullivan out uh, purely from the standpoint that it violates the 14th Amendment, right? I'm not a public figure, this, this thing, uh, this podcast uh, notwithstanding. Um, and so if somebody libels me, I can sue. But, um, you know, President Trump uh, gets libeled and he can't sue. So that's a violation of equal protection right there. And that's the thing that the, the New York Times versus Sullivan Court completely ignored in their decision. And in fact, um, it makes the decision uh, uh, this two, this two poor, the two tier justice system is absolutely anathema to everything uh, in the American way of life and the Constitution. And I just can't see it. Um, every law, Ed, every law treats people differently based on whether you're covered by it or not. I mean, what's the argument for making it harder for liable against a public figure? Just because well, there is so fact, much? If you look at the facts of the New York Times versus Sullivan case, what was going on, this is the case is handed down in 1964. And it grew up, the facts of the case, as I recall, were that. It was civil rights era. The civil rights era was in full swing. And the New York Times was reporting on events in, I believe, Alabama. And they made some statements that turned out to be false, not knowingly false, but it turned out that the statements were false regarding what the police were doing to blacks and to, um, I think, to blacks in Alabama. And the police chief from whatever town it was, brought a lawsuit against the New York Times and the Alabama courts allowed the suit to go forward. And the, the Supreme Court took the case because it had been a strategy in the Southern states to bring big lawsuits against big media companies to try and scare them from, to prevent them from reporting on what was going on in their states. And there, so this, it wasn't about whether the police chief could recover. It was whether the these public figures were going to be able to manipulate the legal system to force all these big media defendants to have to defend lawsuits all over the place in reporting on civil rights violations. That's the facts. Those are the basic facts of that case. And I'm not defending it. I'm not saying that they the Supreme Court did the right thing by creating this whole new law out of whole cloth. Um, but that's what they were trying to deal with. They were trying to deal with the fact that, you know, the way today we're worried about conservatives being silenced. Back then they were worried about, well, we've got this Jim Crow nonsense going on and we've got discrimination going on and New York Times is trying to report on it. And these bigots down in Alabama and, and other places are trying to prevent the, the newspapers from reporting on it by intimidating them with these gigantic libel lawsuits. That's, that's the basic facts of what was going on. 
it's almost like we're in an um, opposite world where back, you know, in that time they were worried about the New York Times publishing things that were harsh uh, about the government. And now it's, you know, they won't publish things that are harsh against their government. It was a it was a good result, but the wrong it was the wrong legal reasoning, and it, it I mean they they could have just let the cases go forward and left it to the to the legislatures or to Congress to deal with the issue. Um, that's probably that probably would have been a better uh, way to deal with it. Um, one of the case, one of the things that's been developed in the last twenty or thirty years is something called a slap lawsuit or slap defense. SLAPS is an acronym for a strategic lawsuit against public participation. And some legislatures, not all state legislatures, but some uh, have enacted laws that make it harder to sue when you're trying to silence somebody from, from debate. Uh, the paradigm for, for a SLAP suit is, is a real estate developer that wants to come into a community and people start saying, oh, they're going to ruin our community. So the developer, in order to silence people, starts suing people for $10 million. And nobody wants to have to defend the $10 million lawsuit where their house is in, in jeopardy. So everybody shuts up. And the, the developer gets his, his variance and he gets to do his, his permit. You know, he gets to start building. Um, and that was the paradigmatic, paradigmatic example. Uh, I don't remember how many legislatures have passed that law, but there are laws now that make it much harder for that developer to bring that lawsuit. The cases can be dismissed at a much earlier stage without discovery and without having to pay lawyers to litigate the case for a couple of years. Um, that's something that could have happened in 1964 had the Supreme Court backed off. We'll never know. Um, but what we do know is that it was the wrong decision uh, or it's the wrong legal reasoning and it should be reversed. And it's had some really pernicious consequences. Uh, Okay, so in answer to my question, Congress can't do anything until the Supreme Court reverses itself. Um, I don't think so. I, I'd have to think that through, but I don't think so. I think that Congress almost always can overrule a Supreme Court decision. Whether they surrender their power like they've been doing for 200 years is a separate question. But I think they have the power, they just don't exercise it. Yeah, but somebody would just take it to court and the court would have to rule with Supreme Court precedent. Congress could strip the court of jurisdiction to even hear the question. Right, that would be an ideal world, but I don't see that happening. And right now it's very easy for the Congress to say nothing we could do. Well, I mean, look at what H, I mean, that's one of the big dangers of HR1, which we haven't talked about in a while, but the Congress is, has, has stripped all courts except for the DC circuit of jurisdiction to hear a challenge to that law. So if you, when, when, if they're gonna change the voting rules in, you know, you're in New York, Steve, Mike is in New Jersey and somebody, you know, whether it's a legislator or a voter wants to challenge that law, you can't sue in the district court of New York or district court of New Jersey. You're gonna have to go down to DC and bring your lawsuit there. Now, I think that's a blatantly, I mean, the whole law is unconstitutional. I think that portion is unconstitutional, but I mean, it's Congress exercising its power to limit the jurisdiction of the courts. And it's hard to say how that would be held, how that would come out. You know, you're returning to, to the other theme again. Even when Republicans put on 
a slightly less thick pair of gloves, the other side is still fighting a whole different battle. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the Republicans passing a law and saying you have to come to one specific court to fight it? You would be hearing fascism, Nazism, Hitlerism, et cetera, well, et cetera. I mean, on the other side of that though, Steve, I mean, when they tried to, when they talked about a flag burning amendment and flag burn, you know, flag legislation, part of those discussions included stripping the federal courts of jurisdiction to even hear a flag burning case. So the Republicans have talked about doing things like that. They've never actually done it the way HR1 tries to do it. Okay, so I'm sorry, this is gonna show my ignorance about this, but if Congress basically has the power to revoke jurisdiction for courts, what, how is there checks and balances? I mean- You're supposed to sue in state court. The state courts have a similar obligation to apply the federal constitution. And if you have a federal, if your federal rights are being violated, the state courts are supposed to uphold that. That's how you could do it. Um, you know, and I don't know, I'd have to see, I'd have to look at HR1 to see, I mean, I don't know that they could strip the state court of New Jersey or the state court of New York of jurisdiction to hear such a case. I don't think they could constitutionally, but you know, the lawyer who brings that case is going to have to read it carefully and, and make sure he sues in the right place. Or a bunch of states just nullify the law. Well, yeah, which we, we can pray for. I was kind of, you know, talking about Republicans fighting back and not fighting back. I think everybody on this panel watches Tucker or talks about watching Tucker. And he apparently had the Arkansas governor on and he was challenging him about what seems to be folding on a big issue. Is that how people are understanding it? Well, yeah, well, I saw that interview um, and uh, he, he, he weaseled just like a Christie, a gnome weaseled. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an open and, and shut uh, case uh, as far as this particular law is concerned. But, um, you know, he weaseled like, well, maybe, you know, there are certain circumstances where the parents and the doctor and the, and the child should be able to, it's like, no, I mean, you can't like mutilate a child, even if the parents want to do it, that's just wrong. Right, he tried to build, make it limited, a limited government situation. But I mean, to me, I watched that interview and number one, I don't think that Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas was caving. Um, and number, number two, I think that Tucker really just destroyed him. But I, while I was watching it here, I was thinking, this is the same jerk that has had a mask mandate that tells adults they can't go out and breathe air. But he's saying that children should be able to have, uh, you know, this surgery or have the, you know, this, what did, what did Tucker call it? Chemical castration. Children can make that decision in conjunction with their parents, but the parents themselves are not capable of making the decision of whether or not to wear a mask. Did Tucker make that point? Huh? Did Tucker no, make Tucker didn't make that point. Tucker did a great job, but he didn't make that point. That was something I was thinking while he was while he was grilling them. Okay, um, so yeah. it's quite clearly we got to get you that kind of show. You know, instinctively, that's a great I argument. Was, oh, it is. It's a phenomenal argument. Go, Jody. Uh, I was just going to say, originally, instinctively, I was on the side of the governor, but changed my mind because it is children. And there, I, there is really hard to 
believe any scenario where physicians and parents and children would all agree or should all agree, maybe even something like that. Just I want to ask a question. Can't, to, why, why can't you wait till you're an adult? I want to ask a question from the collective high IQ of this esteemed panel. In yesteryear, we would have described someone as Governor Hutchison as lacking some form, some language translated to male genitalia. We're no longer allowed to ascribe those genitalia to males. So how do we now describe that? What's a male? I guess this is where I'm stuck. <laughs> you read that someone said well, there's no way to determine. That? There's CNN no way to said that. There is, it, there's no scientific way to determine gender identity at birth. Yeah, zero. And now we're back to the very beginning of the show. How can anybody say something so unbelievably ridiculous and not be left off the airwaves? And they're teaching our children this. Well, you know, and I don't trust scientists or doctors anymore either. I mean, the ones who might give it five, 10 years and they'll all of a sudden be saying, oh yes, from a medical perspective, it's completely appropriate to do these things to an eight-year-old. Well, they are trying to say, how many people on this panel are bilingual, trilingual? I speak Pig Latin. Okay. <laughs> Am I really the only person? Our language, I, I speak a little, but I wouldn't call myself bilingual by any stretch. I, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely by and a half-lingual. Parlo um, Italiano, molto poco. A heck of a lot of languages have different uh, second persons for male and female. Spanish, Hebrew, and German, many, many others. I can't even imagine living in a country like that where you're not allowed to identify somebody as a male or female. I mean, they have to change the second yeah. person. Well, you know, one of the things I've been noticing is they take out all these phrases like mother, father, male, female, these words that you can't use in the name of inclusion. Well, we want to be inclusive. So what I'm seeing is this trend of well, in order to be inclusive, they have to exclude all this stuff. So it's not about inclusion. Well, that's it's about standard Marcuse, right? That's Marcuse right down the line. The, the intolerant, of, uh, be intolerant of the intolerant. That yeah. was, that's his. Um, well, it's, it's just, it's so typical of what they say they're doing and the reasoning behind what they say they're doing is always exactly the opposite, right? I don't know. You just laugh. That that ridicule has got to be the solution to this uh, problem. Is just laugh at people when they say that. I, I you know, there's, you know, there. I I don't even know where to start with capital S science that uh, they claim backs this. It's like, yeah, no, there's no science that backs this. Um, it's all the gender studies department, you know, and we've seen what nonsense that is, where the the guys have put in fake papers and gotten them accepted, you know, with just buzzwords. So I, I don't know other than just laughing at them, but I mean, you laugh at them like Crowder and you get suspended or demonetized. I guess Crowder got demonetized. Crowder's pretty good. He'll push back on a lot of the stuff, but his days are numbered. I mean, that's a question I think I asked out loud, but I'm not sure is just like Alinsky taught them to use ridicule, we should be the ones using ridicule. They're the ones with the outrageously insane ideas. 
Oh, I don't know whether anybody has read Rules for Radicals, but um, it's brilliant and we should use everything in it. Um, personalize things, right? Don't mm -hmm. complain about the system. Complain about that person as being yes. Pick evil. the target. Pick the, Pick target. the target. Freeze yeah. it. Freeze it. Yeah. Right. Freeze it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Isolate it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He, 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 he was a genius. He was a genius working for the bad guys, but that doesn't yeah. mean that we can't use his, uh, we can't use his ideas. Absolutely. Well, that's that's what Rubio's letter was. It said, make them follow their own rules. And that's why he yeah. said that guy should quit Augusta. Right. So who's our target right now? Major league baseball. Well, no, you don't do major league baseball. You do the idiot commissioner, right? You, well, he is an idiot. <laughs> You personalize him. You talk, talk about him being an idiot. Yeah. You know, because they moved it from Atlanta, where Atlanta. all of the people who work at the stadium are black, mm -hmm. to Colorado, which has the same voter ID laws that they were objecting to, where most of the people who work in the stadium are white. You just yeah. kill them over that. I mean, it's just so stupid. Yeah, but you know what? How many times does that objective truth get heard? I think, I mean, that's a good example of where people would be really angry and on our side if they heard those objective truths. We could at least have, but they, they won't. That stuff doesn't get out there, right? The left will continue. People will continue to believe that this was a great thing that they did in the name of, well, anti-racism. It's yeah, getting right. that message out there. Why can't, you know... Again, you know it, we know it, because we go outside the mainstream media to capture information, but that information just won't become mainstream. Jody, you're 100% right. Most people will never know these things. I think there's an, an aspect to this that I find rather amusing, if not ironic, and I don't know if it's been talked about. I mean, liberals tend to hate big corporations, right? They, there's a, they hate them, and they constantly... Oh, no. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. They've, ever since Bill, Clinton, I, 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 I still think a lot of them do. They have, again, ever since Bill Clinton made Bill Gates cry uncle. The Democrats have taken over the corporate boardroom. I, I understand that part of it. I'm talking about your your rank and file Democrat or liberal. They still tend to have a disdain for big corporations. You mean the AOC acolytes? They're they're evil. You know, yeah, I mean, AOC fought hard to keep Amazon from getting corporate welfare in New York, right? I mean, that's one time she was actually probably right. But um, the point that I was trying to, to get to is, you know, the, the left has to cry foul about money and politics and all these big and powerful interests. But boy, when, when Coca-Cola and Delta and Major League Baseball jump in on their side over a voter law, yeah, I mean, uh, I saw some leftists applauding that and, and calling for more of it and calling for these corporations to actually fund leftist interests. It's, it's what, I, what I find ironic kind, of, kind of amusing. What I find amusing and ironic about the situation is that the, the uh, Georgia law is being touted as this voter integrity law. And, and really, the only voter integrity provision that I like about it is the, the photo ID part. I mean, yeah. it expands, you know, mail-in mail in voting, it expands uh, the drop boxes, the ballot harvesting, a whole bunch of things that are, that are really bad things that are not really 
aimed at voter integrity, you know, election integrity made it through in that bill. And it's being, that bill, that law is now being treated as, you know, you know, going the wrong way. I mean, if they were to repeal it and replace it the way the left wants to, can you imagine what would come next? I mean, almost they have, that bill covers almost everything that they want. We got just this tiny little piece out of the Georgia legislature that that wouldn't do this, wouldn't do anything between November and January 5th, mind you. And then they do this half-assed, half-hearted election law, election integrity law that, that, like I said, the only thing in it is really voter ID for for absentee ballots and and in-person balloting. And and in-person, as I recall, that's not in a change. They always required the in-person the in-person voter to show voter ID. So it really didn't even do all that much. And yet, you know, they've got the left in in, in an uproar over it. I mean, I I think it's all sound and fury. And I think that, you know, I think this is just another, you know, Reichstag fire type thing that the left has been looking for, that they're just trying to exploit. I don't even think the law does anything I mean, forget about the fact that if the accusation or the characterization that the characterization of being racist is wrong, the 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 characterization that's even a pro Republican bill is not even correct. Yeah. Well, and your point reminds me of when we uh, were talking about the Georgia elections, and we were worried you were you and specifically you were worried that we were going to lose those races, and that the left is always a step or two ahead of us, and I think this instance shows that clearly. Crystal, it's like crystal clear. They knew that there were going to be challenges coming to what they did, and they were ready to, to go to work and, and ramp up their operation operation of opposition to this. They knew it was coming, and and again, they you know they flexed their muscles and got Major League Baseball to do what they did. But I think they were totally primed and ready for what was coming next, and we're not. I'd I like don't even see, think this you know, is introduce a bill to strip them of their antitrust exemption. I know it won't pass as long as Democrats are in control, but if they're, if they're exempt from antitrust, why are they even talking about politics? Why do they have an opinion about anything? They should shut up and play ball. This, um, this conversation goes on YouTube, does it or doesn't it? It does. Okay, so um, I can't talk about what I was going to talk about, but um, you remember the acorn case? Remember, it's the, okay, uh, it's gonna go on other places as well. If we get knocked off YouTube, we'll live. Yeah, okay. well, it, the acorn case, uh, they were, um, James O'Keefe went in and ha- talked to them about getting government money to set up prostitution or, or all of that. Uh, you know, I, I forget exactly what it is. It was welfare fraud and welfare fraud, fraud, that sort of thing. And he gave away the, um, he gave away uh, the tapes and, and uh, it actually caused a stir. It actually caused um, Congress to do something, which was to defund ACORN. The problem is, of course, that ACORN is, was not really the group. ACORN was a front group for the SEIU. The SEIU, Service Employees International Union, was the group that started ACORN. And as soon as ACORN got defunded, they created Schmacorn or whatever and uh, was back in business. The SEIU, which is very, very prominent in um, uh, black urban areas and is primarily staffed with black 
Marxist ideologues. Um, you, you need that kind of serious cadre of committed people to hypothetically uh, perform um, things like ballot stuffing. Uh, you can't just take random people off the street and say, okay, we've got this plan. We're gonna create all these ballots. We're gonna stuff them in. Uh, what you need is a sort of a hardcore cadre of people that are very ideological. And that's why we saw, or hypothetically saw, or maybe saw, or thought we saw, we thought we saw ballot stuffing in Atlanta and Philadelphia and Detroit and Milwaukee. I, I'm hypothetically, uh, allegedly, um, it was the SEIU and their organization that performed that. Without that kind of a cadre, you don't have anything. So what I think they're trying to do in Georgia and what they ought to do in the other states, I mean, I'm sure it goes on in Baltimore too. Not so much New York, right? Because New York is a very, very multicultural uh, place. It's not, there's not just one kind of uh, black minority. Um, is to, you know, strengthen the observers so that the, uh, you can't just, oh, look, all these people have volunteered to do the election and they just all happen to be people who are associated with the SEIU. Isn't that interesting? They must be civic minded. Um, so I think to strengthen the observer and remove the, you know, the drop box so that uh, people, you know, they, they're going to have drop boxes, but they're going to have it in the, the offices so they, they can see someone come in and try and stuff a billion. Now, they might not do anything about it, but at least they can see it. I, I think they're going at that particular mechanism for fraud. And if they could do it in some of the other red states, uh, that would effectively neuter the operation that we saw in this previous election. Um, because voter fraud is very hard to do in the United States. It, it is. Um, and uh, because of the decentralization of the voting. But if you have a, an organization with you know, an obvious willingness to disobey the law whenever possible, and um, a, a hardcore Marxist uh, belief, you can understand how this particular operation was um, hypothetically uh, taken. And I do think the Georgia law does that. It doesn't do it as much as I would want it to do, but I do think the Republicans got together and said, um, yeah, okay, now that Trump's gone, we better change this so that, that we don't get completely wiped out. But they're only really vulnerable in the areas where ballot stuffing can be effectively done with Omerta protecting the people who do it. And I think that's Atlanta, Philly, a little bit of Pittsburgh, maybe, Milwaukee, Detroit, Baltimore. It's a blue state anyway. They might not even bother. But you, you get the idea. So I want to tie some ideas together here. Um, we're talking about the Times versus Sullivan as a way of reigning in the press. And I, of course, and Jody's done a lot of it today, with the press filtering what we know and spinning what we know, they control our reactions to almost anything. So 
I'm going to bring up the subject that I'm not going to bring up, which is that trial that's reportedly going on in Minneapolis. And at least all of our original knowledge of what happened with George Floyd was based on TV and YouTubes, correct? Everything we know is what we saw and everything we saw is what the media chose to show us. Proof being that at the trial, they're showing things that purport to be other angles that may lead to different conclusions. And what I'm thinking now is on January 6th, when all that hullabaloo happened in the Capitol, they were charging Trump with insurrection and all kinds of other things because it was his fault by saying these lies that these people went and broke into Capitol and beat that guy over the head with the fire extinguisher, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to license the press, but why don't we get to use that same thing against the press? It was their showing of that media that led to burning down cities after George Floyd. It will also be their portrayal of this trial that will probably lead to such actions. Why can't we pin that same argument on the press? What do you mean by pin it on them? I mean, you, you, you just did, and, and I know I will, but- so Okay. Far. From a liability okay. perspective. From I a think. liability perspective. We all say you can say anything except for fire in a crowded theater. If Dan Rather and Brian Williams got up there and said, I am ordering everybody who listens to this show to go out and shoot Republicans, would we agree that they would not be protected by free press? Well, they wouldn't be protected by free press, but I mean, the same way Trump's defense during the insurrection, during the impeachment was that under the, the standards for, for incitement, uh, even, if he's, even if what he said was, was inaccurate, that, that doesn't, there was no imminent threat of, of quote, insurrection. Uh, so it couldn't be, it, it, there couldn't be liability for it. It was right, now I'm agreeing with you, Ed. I agree with his defense. And what I'm saying is, just like Rubio, we need to use their argument against them. And by the way, it's a far closer tie between press reports of police brutality and rioting on the streets and buildings being burnt down. That's not nearly as indirect as Trump saying the election was stolen and please um, protest peacefully and that being linked to riots. I'm just saying, well, throw really, that back in their faces. Well, I mean, we, what we need to say in their faces is that that these are not peaceful protesters. These are enemies of the United States. These are the real insurrectionists. These are, the, these are arsonists. These are people that need to be put in jail. I mean, the Republicans, you know, including Trump, didn't say a damn word about that. Trump thought that he could get away with letting them burn themselves out and that people would see, oh, Look how horrible these these people are, and and it was going to lead to revulsion. But instead, he legitimized them by not bringing in the military, which is okay. right. Even even for people like me, who's solidly behind the free press, and I don't want to license the press, but if a senator wrote a letter to the Alphabet Networks, etc., and said, "I am letting you know that if you report in a slanted way that directly relieved." leads, in my opinion, to rioting and people being killed, I'm going to find some way to go after you. I would not have a problem with that. I would not find that piece stifling the free press. I would be letting the press know that you also have responsibility and you are literally inciting riots. 
What do you, you want fact checkers for the press that uh, make sure that they're presenting? Oh, good Lord. Really? So I start, Mike, Mike, I started with my question. Well, the if the press directly incited a riot specifically purposefully, we would all agree that they don't have a protection of free press, right? Okay, but okay, so we're going back to the Brandenburg definition of incitement, right? Well, well, I think what Steve actually is have asking to is to relax a little bit the idea of imminence in Brandenburg. So obviously, if if you say, well, let's go create a riot uh, next Tuesday. That's not imminent unless you, you make a, then you get a conspiracy if you make a positive step, but it's not, it's not incitement. But if you do let right now, let's go make a riot right now. Right. Um, that if you relax that for media organizations with, you know, millions of listeners rather than podcasts with hundreds, um, I think that's what he's asking for. I mean, does anyone doubt does anyone doubt that there's the jury is afraid to um what's the word I'm looking for to acquit Chauvin because of riots? Does anybody doubt they're not feeling that pressure? Does anybody doubt that if he's I can only assume that. <laughs> there's gonna be riots? And the point is it's the way the press portrayed this entire issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, the connection is pretty damn direct between how press plays things up in rioting. Well, I'm not saying we should- know there's a big lie. There's What's a that? big lie behind it all. There's a big lie behind all, all the riots and the BLM stuff that went on last year. It wasn't just George Floyd, but the larger narrative about cops killing blacks, presumably unarmed blacks targeting them. We know that's a lie that they perpetuated and I think they are culpable for that. But when you're talking about direct liability and an incitement to violence, I don't think what you're, I don't think the press is guilty of that per se. You know I wouldn't I mean? be in favor of relaxing the Brandenburg standard. I think that you're trying to attach personal liability to them when the, the personal liability, the individual responsibility should be towards the people who actually do the rioting, in my opinion. And it, yes, the, the press has done a bad thing. I think we can, you know, morally wag our finger at them and, and condemn them, but I would be very reluctant to impose legal liability on them for engaging in speech activity. Right, and I'm not necessarily saying imposing legal liability. I am saying it would not bother me if powerful people did wag a finger at them and say, we're me. watching you. That's and do I, do I agree that the people rioting should be held culpable? Absolutely no question. Never an excuse to riot, break, burn, kill. Absolutely not. And again, I think our problem is we don't punish crime. And I, I think we should punish crime. But I think somebody needs to put the press on notice. Just They may have reported these things as peaceful protests while things were burning down in the background. But people died. Remember that Bush lied people died? A lot of people. Yes, a lot of people died. A lot of, a lot of people. people lost their livelihoods. It's, it's not a joke. And they do have a responsibility. So can we legislate that? I'm not really in favor of that. But somebody needs to- Well, there's to gotta be saying. a solution. It seems, I mean, there has to be a solution. And I mean- I think there's two such a part of, you know, for me, really, it really is a matter of getting information to the people. Like people aren't always gonna go looking for it. And I'm not saying it's the government's job necessarily, but, you know, I do agree, Mike, you know, the best 
response to bad speech is good speech. But when the good speech is blocked or distorted or manipulated or the people delivering it are attacked and blah, 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 you know that the games that they play, which literally make the message not even true, there's got to be a solution to that huge problem. Got to be. I think there's two things we're forgetting. Um, Remember um, Umbrella Man um, in the first uh, night in Minneapolis going and calmly breaking windows at the AutoZone that was then torched. Uh, White guy, all in black, carrying a black umbrella, uh, gas mask covering his entire face. He he incited the people to go into that AutoZone and burn it down. And there's uh, evidence that other people uh, pre-placed Molotov cocktail uh, bricks and other things. So we, we have we have the Antifa connection, right? This because this if if you look like Antifa and quack like Antifa, you're Antifa. So there there's that element, and the, the second element is that um, police shoot 250 black guys a year, black criminals a year, and maybe um, you know five to ten percent of them are unarmed. You could plan to riot any month you choose. If you pre-planned it, you could say, okay, we're going to wait for, you know, 12 or 24 unarmed black guys get shot by police a year. You could plan it within a two-week period. You could say, okay, we're going to have riots. uh, Let's let's do riots the end of May this year, just like last year. We'll just (laughs) wait until a black guy is shot. Maybe he's armed. Probably, maybe we can wait till he's unarmed. Uh, and then we'll then we'll stir people up and have riots. It was the perfect thing to do last year. It was utterly and totally planned in advance. Not it was planned in advance that they would riot when George Floyd was what uh, died, but they would take advantage of something in this uh, in in upcoming to do it. You could tell it was planned. There was too much coordination. There was too many. There was too much logistics. Uh, ready to go. Un, d- ready to go. So that's why I think that um, you know, unless the police stop shooting black criminals, and but then they'll shoot Mexican criminal. You got to sh- stop shooting everybody. And of course, the police shoot way too many people. That's we. That's a whole another story. But. Um, but yeah, I I think it's just inevitable that they they can. They can dial up a riot uh, within any two-week period they want. And the media is a willing accomplice, but they aren't the cause. They're just a willing accomplice. Well, it's their job to intervene. I don't know. I, I hold so much responsibility with media and education because as far as I'm concerned, the only thing that makes um, a, a evolved society functional is the ability of its people to be um, intellectually educated with objective truths. And objective truths uh, have been on an assault since I can see at least 10 years where there's no such thing as objective truth. There's you have yours, I have mine kind of thing. And this assault on even the seeking of truth is really, I hold the media just so much responsible for that really depravity that's happening in our society when it comes to reason and intellect. It's so big a part of their job to sort of 
be a part of reason and intellect because we're an evolved society and they're the opposite. Okay, having covered every topic from A to Z, I'm gonna ask everybody to talk about what it is they wish they would have talked about. Tempted to talk about Charles Barkley because uh, I, I, I like how outspoken he is at times. I don't always ag agree with him, but I, I did applaud him for having the courage be on uh, national TV during the NCAA March Madness, calling out politicians really on both sides. I don't know if both sides are necessarily equally guilty. I do hold the left more accountable for the divisiveness, but um, I, I, I think he's an important voice. I mean, as a, as a black man to, and to say those things that most whites and most blacks are good people, shock. And, <laughs> Politicians like to divide us, to divide and conquer us. I think he deserves some credit for that. And uh, the only other quick tidbit I thought was funny uh, before the show, I saw that the, my favorite team, the New York Mets, were implementing a, ca a cashless um, system at the ballpark because I guess cash now spreads COVID. I'm surprised we haven't out outlawed cash just for, for that reason over the last year. We have masks on and everything, but we're all touching cash everywhere. So it's amazing that we haven't all gotten it. Is that why they did it? I saw they were doing it. Is that why? I believe it's because of COVID. And yes, now you have to pay either with a gift card, which will probably be rare, or with a credit card or debit card to park at con concessions, um, to buy tickets at the ticket window. And of course, you can't get a credit card without showing identification. So I- They're going to have machines that you can buy prepaid. You're going to be able to buy a prepaid card with cash at these special machines. That's going to get rid of that problem. But didn't the CDC say this week you don't have to worry about surface transmission? Well, it's not just this week. It was um, months and months ago when the studies came out on what they call fomites, which is surface transmission, are not a, ver a major a form of uh, COVID transmission, primarily because they don't uh, have the viral load that you need. You need a fairly high initial viral load to... Um, to get COVID. All right, we need to trust the science, folks. On the other hand, I've used maybe $60 in cash over the last 14 months, 15 months. I just don't use it anymore. I use Apple Pay. <laughs> but that's your, that's your choice. I yeah. don't like cash either, but that's my choice. Yeah. So. I use it quite a bit. Oh, okay. Jody. Oh, no, uh, I'm good. I think great discussion. That's good. I think two topics that we didn't discuss, and it's probably too much to discuss in a, in a closing segment, but just maybe we'll talk about them next week, are the, the vaccine passport, how that continues to gain momentum. And um, there was the proposal for a worldwide minimum corporate tax rate, which I think is an important development. I think it's I think global, you know, people talk about socialism, but really the, the real enemy, I think, is globalism. And I think it's this attempt to cut off the escape routes. Um, but at the same time, as much as these woke corporations piss me off, I'm almost OK with it on, on a certain level, because I, I think that they, you know, they, they look they're useful the idiots. Huh? And that, you know what happens to useful idiots in the end? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ed Powell and I have, have talked about this privately, I think, where, you know, these corporations, they basically pick and choose, you know, there's, they have their, their preferred location for 
manufacturing and production, a preferred location for corporate tax headquarters, another preferred location for where they take their vacations with their families. And, you know, they try and, and, you know, pick and choose the best of everything. And everybody else in the world is supposed to get screwed by them. And uh, I, I can't say I'm, I'm all that sympathetic towards them. But um, nonetheless, I think that continued global coordination on economics is a is a danger. And it's something that we need to be aware of. And, uh, you know, globalism is the new socialism is sort of how I would put it. I have two quick things. Um, first is that uh, United Airlines, on which I have uh, 1.2 million uh, lifetime flight miles, has just announced that 50% of the new pilots trained will be women or minorities. And uh, all I can say is that uh, that's um, illegal. And I hope that someone sues them from doing that. And the second short thing is uh, I got my second uh, COVID uh, vaccine, Pfizer, the other day. And um, uh, coincident with it, in a couple of, after a couple of days was a partial loss of vision in my left eye. And I am not going near uh, another booster shot or any other one of these things uh, as long as I live. And I, you know, I was very blase about the, um, about the uh, vaccine, uh, thinking that it probably was safe. And now I am regretting it. And you were more than blasé. You uh, you defended it and advocated for it. I mean, I gently. I thought, I thought it was a cool technology. And, yeah. Uh, I wish I didn't get it. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. Now, I went to the doctor and they said, well, I think maybe it'll go away in six weeks or so. Um, let's hope that happens. But stay away. Stay away from this vaccine if you possibly can. Which one did you get? Help that happens, Ed. You're too Pfizer. valuable for us to lose. Well, Pfizer. Pfizer, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I personally, I'll, I'm waiting, and I'm not seeing anything yet. So we're gonna get hit with a defamation suit, folks. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that'll put us on the boat. Um, I was filling out the VARES, uh site when this started and as soon as uh, we're done i'm going to continue with uh um filling out theirs for myself all righty thanks everyone another great show will be up within the hour on itunes rumble and uh, what's the other one i'm missing right now soundcloud of course yeah, Arla, Mewi, I don't know. SoundCloud. yeah we're on a whole bunch of other sites as well and we hope to hear from you. We hope to see you back next week at four o'clock. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.